24, verses 10 through 16. Leviticus 24, 10 through 16. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His his mother's name was Shilameth, the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Names are important. I I know that, I understand that, I try to reflect that in my own life and practice, but it doesn't always turn out the way I want it to. One quick example, last Sunday morning, as uh, we were departing and I had gone and taken my Bible and left it in the office, picked up my phone and headed to the back to go to my car, there were several people still working and setting up for something back in the fellowship area, and a number of them were our university students. I saw a young lady there whose name I was 85% sure was Haley. And so I looked her in the eye and I addressed her as Haley. She very politely but kindly said, I'm sorry, I'm christened. So I apologize because I know how important it is for someone to hear their own name but not be called by someone else's name. I'd rather not even try to use somebody's name before I... I run the risk of calling them the wrong name, but that time I missed it. So Sunday night comes. Here we are gathered to worship. I'm walking down the side aisle. A number of our university students are already seated. And so I see Kristen. And I think, I'm going to make that egregious faux pas right from this morning. And so I looked her in the eye, and I said, hi, Kristen. She said, Anna. I ask forgiveness for everyone in this church. I know the names of everyone in this church. I just don't know who they belong to. That's the, <laughs> that's the problem. I, I, the hard drive is still there. I just cannot retrieve the data, if you know what I'm talking about. And, and, and I know that I'm not the only one. When I preached for 15 years in the Atlanta area, a godly Christian woman there called me Richard the whole time. And for the first couple of times, I politely you know, corrected her. I said, Randy, and she continued to call me Richard. So for the next 14 and a half years, she called me Richard. And I answered to it. The text that Sam just read is an account of a man who's probably a young man whose mother was an Israelite, whose father was an Egyptian. And we don't know how it started. Maybe his Egyptian father just was not concerned. It wasn't on his priority list to teach his son how to respect and to obey God. 
Maybe he walks with a bit of arrogance and just a splash of rashness. Maybe he's just a little bit full of himself. And mark it down, when any time a person is arrogant and haughty, then there's always going to be some friction that arises between people. And that's exactly what occurs in our text. In this story, the Bible says suddenly a fight breaks out between this man and an Israelite man. And in the middle of the skirmish, the first man loses his self-control and he curses. He uses some profane language. And in the midst of the curse, somehow he used the name of God inappropriately, blaspheming the name of God, if you can imagine that. Blasphemy itself is, is a word that's used pretty frequently in Scripture, but it needs some explaining. It just means to speak with contempt or to speak against the character and the, and the reputation of another person. It also means to make hollow or meaningless the name of another person. That is, you're using their name, but you're not using it in the right context. You are not using it appropriately. And this man in our text has spoken against the character and the name of God. Please don't miss that. That's critical to this study this morning. Now, the people must have known how serious it was because you'll notice in that reading that they immediately took this man to Moses and he's held in custody for a little while. I, maybe there's a retaining room somewhere. But anyway, they hold on to him for a while. And then the Lord spoke to Moses. Notice his words again. You take the one who has blasphemed outside the camp, then let everyone who has heard his words lay their hands on his head and let the people, here it is, stone him to death. And then you tell all the people that anyone, whether born an Israelite or not, who curses the name of God will be held responsible and must be put to death for his wrongdoing. I'm telling you this so that you will know that in the Old Testament era, how you use the name of God was literally a matter of life and death. Using God's name flippantly or inappropriately was a crime that was deserving of capital punishment. Now, if someone knew that, surely it had to cross their mind before they used God's name in that way that this probably isn't going to turn out well. And surely, if a person was rational at all, it would have served as a deterrent against using God's name inappropriately. Now, it's with that Old Testament background in mind that I want to talk to you about respecting, revering even, the holy name of God. You see, names have always been important to God. Names have had a special meaning. And that explains some things in both Old and New Testament. For example, that's why back in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 4, God would change the name Abram, meaning exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of many. And in light of what transpires in Genesis chapter 12, you would understand why he would make that name change. God did the, that because he was going to make of Abraham a great nation, and he wanted him to have a name that would reflect that promise. So Abraham did it. God also changed the name of the patriarch Jacob to Israel. You remember that. Jesus changed the name of Simon to Peter because God places such importance on a person's name. And he always has. Names were so important to God that when the time came for him to give a name to the only son of God, that was not left up to Joseph and Mary. If you've read Luke chapter 2 or any of the other synoptic gospel accounts of the birth of our Lord, of his incarnation into this world, when a name was assigned, it was not left to Joseph and Mary. God chose the name Jesus, that means Savior, because that's what he would mean to the world. And so God says, I'm the one who will give him the right name. As important as, as names were and are to God, no name, please don't miss this, 
No name is more important than his own. The Hebrew word for God is El, spelled E-L, which means supreme God. Throughout the Old Testament, God would give derivatives of his name, revealing more about his nature and his character, even by the name that he assigned to himself. The most common name that God used for himself was El Shaddai, meaning supreme God who is almighty. And then when Moses returned to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage, he found great difficulty, as you remember, dealing with Pharaoh. Pharaoh was was a hard man, and he, he didn't want to allow those Israelites, those Israelite slaves to leave because he had a free workforce. And, and in fact, not only would Pharaoh not release the Israelites, but he made their workload even harder by, by withholding the straw of which the bricks were made. That was what would hold those clay bricks together. And the Bible says the taskmasters, who were those Egyptian job foremen, began to whip the Israelite slaves and call them lazy. And Moses then asked God a reasonable question because God had already given him the assignment of leading those children out of that bondage. And God was asked of Moses this question. He said, why have you given me this task? Now, you remember the particulars, how that Moses did not feel like that he was the man for the job. But then over in Exodus chapter 6, Verses 2 and 3, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, there's El Shaddai, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now, that's a rather interesting way to respond to the simple question of why have you asked me to lead the people out of Egyptian bondage? There's the name that the people called God, El Shaddai, and then there's God's own name, Yahweh. And God gives Moses a different name to reassure Moses that God is able to deliver the children of Israel from that bondage. Now, just as God changed Abram's name to Abraham and Jacob's name to Israel, he's now going to change his own name. He changes his name from El Shaddai, God Almighty, the name that Abraham and Jacob knew him by, to his highest and holiest name, which is Yahweh, or as we better know it, Jehovah, which is taken from the Hebrew verb to be. That means simply but profoundly, I am God. Now think about that in connection with what we talked about here last Sunday morning. The absolute undiluted holiness of God. And now God is emphasizing to a people and then to later generations, that would be us, how important it is that we get his name right and that we understand something about the significance and the depth of importance that is attached to the name of God. He said, my name is, I am God. What happens when you say the name of someone that you know and respect By speaking their name, you're actually acknowledging, so to speak, their body of work. You're acknowledging that person's reputation and what they have accomplished in this world. There are names that can be spoken of on the campus of Faulkner University and names that can be spoken right here in this church building at the University Church of Christ that will always demand respect. You can't speak their names without thinking about their lives. And maybe the contributions that they've made to Christian education or the contributions that they've made to the cause of Christ right here in Montgomery, Alabama, and really to the cause of Christ around the world. Can you imagine anyone who knew 
any of these men well, talking about them in a disrespectful manner or kicking their good names into the gutter. That is somewhat of what we're talking about in this lesson this morning. There are quickly three Old Testament passages that deal with how to use the name of God. And these three passages are where God tells you how he feels about his own name. Now, I can find a good number of verses in the Psalms, especially, and other places where God's name is praised. But these three passages tell us how God wants his name to be treated. I want to share these with you, and then we'll be out of here. The first one happens to be the third of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20, this one specifically in verse 7. This is the one who's everybody, anybody who's ever opened a Bible knows about. And, and, and whether they've ever memorized the Ten Commandments, they'll usually be able to recite the third one, and that's, that's what we're focused in on at this moment. And here's the way that commandment reads. You shall not take the name of the Lord, there's Jehovah, your God, in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who uses his name in vain. God's name is so holy to him that it is etched in stone, and I mean quite literally. One of the ten commandments that Moses brought back from the mountain had that commandment. You shall not misuse the name of Of the Lord your God. The message is clear. Don't you dare misuse it or you'll be held accountable. There will be a price that will be paid. And then there's Leviticus chapter 22 verse 2. Where God tells Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons that they abstain. That is separate themselves from the holy things of the people of Israel. Which they dedicate to me so that they, here it is, do not profane my holy name for I am the Lord, end quote. God was impressing on Aaron the sanctity of the tabernacle and everything having to do with the priesthood. That is, they were to respect the temple. They were to respect the contents of the temple. But most of all, they were to respect the holy name of God. And as they received the offerings and the gifts the people brought to the temple, they were to be exceedingly careful not to profane God's name. By the way, profane means to use Literally, it can't, the etymology of that word profane means out of temple or out of context. And that makes sense in light of the passage that we just noted. You see, to disrespect the temple would be like taking the holy vessels that were to be used only in temple service and to take them home and to eat a common meal on them or with them. And no one in the right mind would ever have thought about doing that. It would be like taking them out of their holy context and away from their holy purpose and using them as everyday, ordinary vessels. Let me give you one quick example of that from Daniel chapter 4. That's the way Belshazzar took the gold goblets from the temple in Daniel 4 and used them for, if you can imagine, a drunken feast. You are misusing the holy things of God, the instruments from the temple that are dedicated to God's service. And to profane the name of God would be to take his holy name and to treat his name as you would any ordinary name. And you and I know how egregiously the name of God is used today in our culture. You can go from classroom to classroom, from desk to desk in any classroom in the schools of America... You can go from desk to desk in any office complex, from table to table in just about any house in America, and the only time you'll hear God's name used is on the front end of a curse word. That's where we are right now in our culture. And then the third time that I want to mention is Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
specifically verses 58 and 59, and you need to know that this is at the end of the life of Moses. These are among his last words to the people before they enter into the promised land. They've been wandering in the wilderness for some 40 years. It's about time for them finally to be granted that blessed land that flows with milk and honey. But here's what he said. If you are not careful to do all the words of the law that are written in this book, that you may fear the glorious, here it is, glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions. Some versions read plagues, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. Now don't miss that. If the children of Israel did not obey God's word, if they did not honor his name, then he is saying that all the plagues that you witnessed in Egypt, God says, I will bring them back on you and on your children. Are you ready for that? God is simply telling his people that if they want things to go well for them in the new promised land, all you got to remember is two simple rules. Number one, you need to obey every commandment of God. Number two, you need to revere the glorious and awesome name of Jehovah God. Can you remember those two rules? That's all you've got to remember. I'll repeat back then how you use the name of God was literally a matter of life and death. Now, with that little bit of background, we come finally to the New Testament teaching. We live in a world, as I just mentioned, in which it is commonplace to misuse and to profane the name of God. It's so common that we sometimes, I think, lose sight of its importance from time to time, that perhaps we've become accustomed to hearing God's name being used so loosely all around us that sometimes it may even slip into our own vernacular. There are other really nasty, obscene words that we cringe at, and as well we should, but we don't cringe near as much anymore when we hear the holy name of God being misused. Let me stop for a moment and, and define the word profanity. And don't worry, you do not need to cover the ears of the children. I can tell you the best definition that I've ever per heard of, of the word profanity, someone said that profanity is the inability to use the English language. And I heartily agree with that. You see, there are those who don't know how to express themselves except through profanity. Comedians use profanity all the time, trying to be funny. It's called working blue. But somebody has said, if you can't be interesting without profanity, face it, you're just not that interesting. And that really is true. Movie companies will intentionally put profane and obscene words into their movies so that they will get more restrictive ratings. But it's counterproductive, even from a financial perspective. I have read that year after year, the movies that make the most money in Hollywood are the ones that are geared and rated for family entertainment, and yet they persist in throwing those words into their movies. That kind of profanity is bad enough. I think we all agree with that. But to use God's holy name along with or as an expletive, especially in, in the life and the lips of one who is a New Testament Christian. Let me mention humor just here. To tell a joke that includes God. Like God and Jesus went out golfing one day. There's actually a joke that runs like that. 
Or, or maybe to use, and, and sometimes we just use God's name flippantly, or we refer to God in, in profane ways, like referring to God as the big man upstairs. And, and sometimes in outbursts of anger, to use God's name uncontrollably as an expression of anger when we're angry or when we're hurt. Or sometimes we use it as an expression of surprise. God's name is used as an exclamation point to express excitement. I remember watching an episode of America's Funniest Video one time when a little girl, a tender little girl of four or five, got really what she wanted for Christmas and said over and over and over again, oh my God. And I'm thinking how egregious that is. A recent study revealed that the most common text message acronym is OMG, and you know what that stands for. Or even sometimes in frivolous talk, and you know what that is, don't you? That's just verbiage that comes out without us really having thought about it, without thinking about what we're saying. And then there are slang names for God or Jesus that people use. We call them euphemisms. I'd give you some examples, but they would sound so wrong right here in the context of this church building. And I guess my real question is, why don't they sound wrong out there too? It's my holy God we're talking about. Let's be careful how we use his name. Let's respect and revere the holy name of God. And if we've been lax in doing that, let's pull up the lax part and let's be strict on ourselves. And any time we talk about God, let it be with an attitude of gratitude. Let it be with an attitude of reverence for God who created this universe and who loves us enough to allow his son to die for us as a God that deserves our respect. Amen? And once we understand that, it's going to make a difference in the way that we live and the way that we talk. It's always been a problem. I can even remember back in my grandparents' generation how that there was a tendency of some good-thinking people to say things like, Lordy, Lordy. And if you think I'm exaggerating the case for the sake of some sermon material, I give you this challenge. Listen carefully in the movie theater or watching your favorite television show or your favorite series on Netflix and just keep track of how often the name of God is misused in profanity and humor and outburst of anger or sometimes just silly, frivolous talk. How are we supposed to treat the name of God today? Well, that's the easiest question I've had to answer in a long time. To see how we ought to treat the name of God, you only need to open this book and to look at Scripture and see how Jesus treated his Father's name. Three quick things. Number one, he glorified God's name. Back in Matthew 6, verse 9, when he was teaching his apostles, his disciples, how to pray, he said, you ought to pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That just means holy is the name of God. He glorified God's name. Secondly, he praised God's name. Isn't this the same as glorifying his name? I think it's similar, but I think praise is a little more specific. When you praise, you are calling attention to that person's specific attributes and virtues and accomplishments that are good. To praise my wife is not just to tell you what a wonderful wife and mother and grandmother she is. It's to get specific about her attributes and her virtues. Over in John chapter 12, 49 and 50, Jesus is teaching. And it seems that everybody is marveling at his words. When they, when they walk away from hearing Jesus teach, they're just blown away, impacted by the power and the dynamism of his words. And that's why when Jesus says, for I have not spoken on my own authority. He wants them to know where his words are coming from. I have not spoken from my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. 
what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. He's giving proper documentation to his words. It came directly from the throne room of God. And perhaps Jesus had been hearing about what other people had been saying about them. Maybe they're saying things like, I really like what this Jesus is saying, and I especially like his words when he puts those proud religious teachers, the Pharisees, in their place. But Jesus is saying, I want you to know, I'm not here of my own volition. My Father sent me. He is the one who tells me what to say. And in so doing, Jesus is calling attention to the attributes and the virtues of God. And if we do that with our families, and I hope we do, And if we do that in the context of our church building and we speak about God with reverence and respect when we're here together as his people, why don't we do that all the time out here in the world? We ought to routinely praise his name. In our prayers to God, in our conversation with others, it is only appropriate to talk about God's love and his compassion and his saving power. And yes, His holiness. Finally, and probably most important, he protected God's name. In Matthew 19, as well as over in Mark 10, we have parallel accounts of a young man coming to Jesus. We call him the rich young ruler. He was wealthy and powerful and a ruler despite his young age. He says to Jesus, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he, that is Jesus, said to him, why do you call me good? There is one that is good. And that is God. I know that Jesus is saying in that statement that he shared the deity of the Father. I know that there are many things that he's implying in that statement. But one thing you cannot miss is that Jesus would not allow anyone to take anything away from the name of God. Do you remember why David fought Goliath? And what most prompted David to go and fight that nine and a half foot giant? At the heart of the issue, you can go back and read 1 Samuel 16 for yourself. At the heart of the issue for David was that Goliath was misusing and insulting the name of a holy God. That deserves some payback. Or at the very least, it deserves some justice. My dad died 12 years ago this August. He was a good man. He was a man who was respectful and who loved the Lord and who served him well for 77 years. If someone says something bad about my dad, something disrespectful about him, I do not know what I'd do, but I would do something. And if someone spoke in vulgar or disrespectful terms about my wife, I do not know what exactly I would do, but I'll tell you, I would do something. I would protect her good name. And I know you cannot stop the world from misusing God's name, and that's not within your power, and that is not our main purpose in life. I know what the book says. But as you walk through life, if you have this protection spirit, then you can do something. When another person curses and misuses God's name in an inappropriate way, you can walk away and leave when you hear that kind of talk. When someone tells one of those jokes that that uses the name of God in a silly or a flippant way, you can choose not to laugh. Or maybe you can even find the words in a kind way to express your displeasure. You can refuse to watch TV shows or movies that are filled with disrespectful uses of Jehovah God's holy name. Does that sound like something that only a preacher would say? 
Does it sound like I'm going overboard or getting carried away? I don't think so. Let me remind you that in the Old Testament, how you use the name of God was literally a matter of life and death. And today, how you use the name of God is so important, and it will make a difference in eternal life and eternal death. When I write, when I am typing out a bulletin article or, or, or typing out a sermon, I capitalize any pronouns that refer, that refer to any of the members of the Godhead. I don't have to do that, but I do it out of respect. Jesus taught us in Matthew 12 that our mouths reflect the inner recesses of our hearts. That's, I think, one of the key most important statements that Jesus and lessons that Jesus ever taught his people. And he said that nothing comes across the lips unless it has first resided deep in the heart. And that really is the issue of this whole lesson, isn't it? If you're serious about cleaning up your language, then do what the Lord said and first change your heart. Not just how you use his name, but everything in life has to do with the kind of relationship that we have with Jehovah God. People who have this right relationship with God will never, ever misuse his holy name in any way. They'll go about glorifying and praising and protecting the name of the God they love. So I'm asking you this morning in a very personal way, do you need to repent today? Do you need to change your heart? Do you need to change your mind? Do you need to change your mouth? Does anyone here need to say with Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips? Do you need to come to God and make your life right in any way this day? If so, we bid you come while we stand and while we sing.